uh, Rodney has become a good friend of ours over the last uh, few years. Um, he's the guilty party because he married Jerry and I on the beach in Sri Lanka a few years ago. Um, so, uh, and uh, Cameron, my son's here tonight, and we went on a mission with uh, Rodney in Sri Lanka as well, and up into the uh, area where all the fighting was going on before the war was ended with the Tamil Tigers. So that was a fantastic uh, two weeks of. Uh, mission and ministry we did with Rodney. So uh, anyway, I just want to commend Rodney to you and uh, he, I'm sure he's going to tell you some exciting things. So uh, I'll pass you over to Rodney. But young guy, young And by the way, Rodney's speaking at the ladies group that meets at our house on Tuesday morning, so if any of the mums want to see him, uh, or he's here again. So uh, Father God, we just say thank you for bringing Rodney over. Uh, to us, Lord, and uh, thank you that he's able to be here this evening, Lord. And as we've already prayed earlier today, Lord, we just pray, Lord, that you uh, empower him as usual with your Holy Spirit tonight, Lord, and pray, Lord, that he would have absolutely a word of encouragement and the right words to speak to each of us here tonight. Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, talking of, uh, talking about telephone calls, You will hear in a while when I share my testimony of how I had an encounter with the Lord uh, that, uh, you know, it, it will include stories about how enthusiastic I was about serving God. And um, so this was during the early days of my salvation and, you know, being challenged to ministry and, uh, you know, taking... Uh, <laughs> taking risks uh, just to move forward in, in serving God. We had an evangelist from America, and this guy had a series of meetings, and I was entrusted with the responsibility of, uh, of hospitality. So when he had done with his program, I was driving him to the airport, and uh, um, I suddenly realized that I was doing all the talking, and I was sharing with him about what God had done in my life and so much um, about, uh, you know, the, the encounter I had with the Lord and all this. And suddenly I realized that we had driven all this distance to the airport and it was time to say goodbye to him. So when he got off the car, he looked into my face and I said, he said, I wish I could have you in the United States, get you up on a stage to speak to our people. Next morning, I found myself you know, face down, praying about America, my trip to America. I saw the stage, I saw the multitudes of people, people waving and everybody happy and praising God. So I had a long time of praying about my mission to America. And the phone rang. I went to the phone. And as I took the phone, I heard a voice saying, Go to Bangladesh. <laughs> and my friends, I was back again on the floor. <laughs> in deep repentance, weeping, I really felt the power and the presence of the Spirit. Now, I had a contact in America, but I had no clue as to who I knew in Bangladesh. All I knew about Bangladesh was it was a nation like Sri Lanka 
devastated by natural disasters and floods, uh, poverty-stricken, and that the minority church is being persecuted. So, you know, God has a sense of humor. So I begin to talk about this to people. Many may have not believed when I said I heard a voice saying, Go to Bangladesh. But I kept, uh, you know, searching. And I got a lead. I got a contact in Bangladesh. And to cut a long story short, this man who never knew anything about me, we became friends over uh, email. And he had a complete program planned out for me. And But I realized that I had no money to go to Bangladesh and I needed a visa to go to Bangladesh. So Jean, my wife and I, we went to the embassy with forms filled, photographs, passport and everything. And there we were uh, at the Bangladesh embassy. And uh, we were met by a lady who was not kind to us. Is it at that particular time, there was what what they call the G12 conference going on in Bangladesh. And the least they would want to have in Bangladesh at that time was anyone from Sri Lanka. Because the war, the communal war, was at its peak. And we were in the heat of turmoil. And you know about the suicide bombers in Sri Lanka and all that. So this lady was not kind to us at all. She just threw back the passport... And she said, we do not issue visas. So my wife and I turned back and we were walking out of the embassy premises. And I remember I stopped. And this was under a big mango tree. And I looked at my wife and I said, let's go back. And she was wondering what's going on. But you know, my wife, she knows that every day there is something unusual happening with me. And now she has learned to live with it. So we went back to this counter and I took my passport and I looked at this lady and I said, can you please take this passport and these documents to the, to the ambassador and tell him that Rodney Pereira has need of a visit visa to Bangladesh. She looked at me and she took this passport and there was a long sofa. Jin and I sat after about 15 minutes, this lady came with much respect. And she handed over this passport to me. And so Jean and I were walking back and we stopped again under the mango tree. And we woke, opened up this passport and there was a stamp with three months of visa to Bangladesh. And so, my first mission out of Sri Lanka was in Bangladesh. And... Um, that was a wonderful time. But eventually I did go to the United States. So, that's something in telephone calls. Thank you very much, uh, Ian and Jerry, for introducing me to Pastor Phil and his family and to this church. Thank you, church, for having me uh, come today to do as the Holy Spirit of God intends to do tonight. Now, are you here with expectation? Is the I have come tonight in God's timing. I stand here 
with confidence because God has sent me as a messenger to you. And I am here to deliver as a delivery man of God. To deliver to you what he has to give to you tonight. And let me make this declaration. Tonight is the beginning of a new season of this church. And the families and the people connected to this mission, to this ministry. Do you receive that? And this is what I deliver tonight. You see, I'm going to take some testimonies. It might take a little time, but I promise you, I will finish before tomorrow morning. And um, I'm not going to do any teaching, because I'm sure your leaders here teach you and equip you. I'm not going to bring any doctrinal issues. With all respect to you and to God, I want to deliver to you what God has sent to be delivered to you. And um, i just like to share with you a few things that has been happening in my own life, my family, and the ministry. And before I miss this out, let me say this. Is it Alan who had a vision when we were praying in that room? I didn't want to, I didn't want to, you know, interrupt. But I too had a vision there. And the vision was as simple as this. I saw Jesus with his arms folded and, uh, you know, Jesus is very handsome. He's very smart. And with a nice smile, he was looking at you. He was smiling with you. And this is what I saw. And um, what God wants to deliver to you today is something that most of you have been asking. And I need you and. I need your acknowledgement in order that I am encouraged tonight to continue with what I believe God has sent me to deliver. Many of you have been praying or seeking or searching after the gifts of the kingdom. You have heard about the exercising of the gifts. You have been hearing of marvelous testimonies. You have been reading about what God has been doing with the church. And you've been asking God, how about me? Am I right? Thank you. Tonight is the night that you shall be receiving. So please be receptive. God is good and He's good enough to give you as much as you need to have. Of his goodness. I'm not talking of the gifts only about the gifts of the spirit. I'm speaking about the gifts of the kingdom. I believe most of you are born again. Spirit filled. Kingdom connected beings. You know what it means to be born again? I started living in heaven the very moment I got born again. You are a kingdom being. A kingdom is ruled by a king. And the ruler of your life is King Jesus. This is important to realize and understand and function by. We are kingdom beings. We, we function by the authority of the king that rules the kingdom to which you and I belong to. And it has to do with kingdom authority. 
So the kingdom gifts, gifts are meant to the kingdom people. And that's you and me. That's the church of Jesus Christ. And today, you decide how much you want to receive. The first gift that I hear the Holy Spirit saying that shall be delivered to this congregation is the gift of discernment. You know, this gift is lacking in the church today. That is why unwise decisions, hasty decisions, foolish decisions, judgments take place. And we see so much of church, you know, splits, conflicts, gossip, because the gift of discernment is not exercised. And tonight, some of you shall receive the gift of discernment. You will begin to discern that you could come and tell your pastor. You could discuss with the elders, the leaders, and say, this is what I discern by the Spirit of God. You could, you know, the, the, the scripture says that every, you know, everything has to be, what do you say, acknowledged by two or more witnesses. So, the, the gift, gift of discernment, <laughs> it, can, it can be dangerous sometimes. It has to be weighed. It has to be put on the spiritual scale. It has to be. And for that matter, every gift has to be tested by the word of God. Not by the judgments of man. And today, some of you who have never spoken in tongues, you will receive the gift of utterance. The gift of prophecy. The gift of healing. There is, tonight is a night of impartation. It's not me. It's all about God. Being generous to you tonight. Are you ready? I want to start by sharing... A, a story about my life. You see, when I was 17 years, there was a dangerous insurgency that broke out in our country. And young people around my age were in absolute danger. It was a time of serious economic breakdown and political confusion. Everything was Russian. And the one who was able to run faster, the one who was able to wake up earlier, the one who was able to fight, was able to exist. I remember standing in a queue to buy one loaf of bread at 2 o'clock in the morning. I remember when houses were, what do you call, investigated or, you know, the police would come and check our homes to find out whether we had more than two kilos of rice. It was an offense to have anything more than two kilos of rice in your house at any given time. It was an offense to have a pound of chili powder at any given time in our kitchen. It was an offense. They would confiscate the food that we had in excess to the limitations so this was a terrible time for a young man of 17. The Russian was one loaf of bread. And can you imagine the temptation coming home with a loaf of bread to share it with 10 people? You know, my mother and father, 
and seven siblings and always an extra person seeking shelter in my home. We also had a monkey in a cage and a parrot and a squirrel <laughs> and the neighbors' chickens and stray dogs always in our compound. It was a very big family. And um, it was very difficult for me to cope up with the understanding of the pain my mother and father had when it was mealtime. They could never supply enough food to feed me being the youngest boy. I had four elder brothers and two younger sisters and an elder sister. And as I said, cats and dogs and parrots and monkeys. It was difficult for dad and mom. They were God-fearing in some sense. But also they searched after the occult and the various other religions. And they went after witchcraft. Perhaps they did it all to make ends meet, to try to find an answer. So this, is, this was uh, the, 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 the home that I grew up in. And now I'm 17 years. And I have just finished schooling. That was all my parents could afford to extend to me about nine years of education in the general system of education of Sri Lanka. And it was still on at that time. And this, this insurgency caused so much of fear in the country. And I remember myself in a lonely street just wondering what do I do next? The temptations to join the insurgency was great because to be, you know, at that age it was some kind of uh, inspiration to, you know, uh, to have a gun and go and, you know, kill somebody. And uh, it was a horrible state of affairs. Every day young people like us were killed because uh, if they refused, they would be abducted and shot and killed somewhere. So every morning we get news of people were known to us could be distant family members killed. So my parents also had the fear of four young boys being stolen away from the home that was very closely knitted. So I found myself one evening just wondering, helpless, hopeless, penniless, what do I do with my life? There were tendencies of suicide. There were temptations of joining the insurgency. And I remember seeing this airplane flying over. And I thought, should this plane come down and ask me to board it, I would get lost. This was my thinking. A week later, I saw another plane. And I looked at this plane and it exploded. And it just fell down. And up to date, remains of that plane stands in our uh, headquarters of the Air Force. It stands at, as, you know, what do you call memorial, what do you call a monument of memorial or whatever, you know. So something was going on in this life. And uh, shortly after that, I met a very well-built, strong young man, and I admired his physical appearance. And this man, he offered to me, you know, he said, would you like to learn martial arts? I thought, oh, that should be good. <laughs> uh, he had just come down from Korea. 
He had been working in a Korean ship and mastered the Korean art of self-defense, uh, Taekwondo. And I myself was very interested in sports and I, you know, nobody could support me to achieve what I could have. There again it was disappointment. So here is an invitation to learn martial arts. Wow, that was fantastic. So I went to this guy and he taught me the basics of martial arts. He taught me Taekwondo and you know, I got so engrossed with this sport that I became an expert. He said so. You know, all that I did was Taekwondo. I ate, drank, dreamed. I did everything with Taekwondo. And I became a stuntsman. And together with this guy, I became quite a popular martial artist. But you know, deep inside me, I was disappointed, I was hurt, and I was angry, and I was bitter about poverty. Because our, our family was poverty-stricken. And those who were rich, distant family members, they ridiculed us. They gave us the remnants. And I had from my childhood a bitterness. I wanted to be rich. I thought all our problems are solved when I become rich. And so now, I had the opportunity because I had the offer to be hired as a street fighter. And I became a gangster in my place of birth. I became a notorious gangster. I fought and I fought well. And I earned well. And when I had plenty of money, I was still disappointed. I was still disappointed. Deep inside me, I had bitterness. Deep inside me, I was hopeless and also helpless. And I begin to wonder, why was this? I thought money was the answer. I thought success was the answer. To me now, success was to be the best fighter in the street. To me, success was to make myself popular on the stage, performing things, you know, performing as a strong man with a team and doing various things that a normal young man of my age could not think of doing. But this did not give me satisfaction. I, it dawned on me that this was not success. And uh, I soon took to alcohol and to other types of drugs. I moved from Nigambo, my birthplace, to Colombo, the capital city. I found a job in a hotel as a porter. And I continued my life of being a thief and a cheat. And I went on this way. When I was 25, I cheated Jean, my wife, into marriage. She really didn't know who I was. She didn't know my inside character. She knew I was strong. She knew I was all out to fight with somebody. She knew that I would, you know, I was a naughty guy. But she never knew how hopeless and helpless I was. I don't remember our wedding night. By the way, tomorrow we are 33 years married. I don't remember my wedding night. My beloved, we conti I continued in this life. Jean became a mental wreck. We had Denver and Angelo, the elder and the younger. And these kids were helpless and hopeless. They had no hope of a future. And those around us, our family members said, these kids have no hope of a future. 
And I knew all this was now because of my struggle with alcohol. I was an alcoholic. So, one day I woke up. And I wept, embracing my two little boys. And I looked to Gina and I said, I want to change. I want to give up. Will you help me? She said, yes. So, people brought in various suggestions. Some said, take medical treatment. So, we went after medical science. We went after the available medical treatment, but it could not help me. Then some people said, religion. And so we went behind religions. There are plenty of religions in Sri Lanka. Of the 20 million people living in the island of Sri Lanka, over 70% are Buddhists who believe in the philosophy of salvation or the doctrine of salvation by works. They try to work out their salvation. They are a disappointed people. They are deeply frustrated because they know they cannot make it. So they have to adopt the doctrine of rebirth. There is no God in Buddhism. Then there, are, there is Hinduism which merges with Buddhism very easily because Hinduism, contrary to Buddhism that has no God, has 330 million gods. And in addition to 330 million gods, they have their household gods. You know, working on the street, if they find something unusual, a stone that looks unusual or an animal that looks unusual, they take it home and this becomes their holy and household gods. So they have 330 million gods plus. So we went behind these gods, but none of them would look good. Every one of them did not, was not appealing to die. I knew there was something wrong with these gods. I knew they were in conflict with each other. And the religion of Buddhism, of Hinduism, teaches forgiveness by torture. They have to torture themselves, hang themselves on hooks on days of feasts. They have to tear themselves, cutting themselves. They have to bleed. They have to shed their blood, seeking forgiveness and freedom from guilt. So they are a frustrated, disappointed people. That's about 10% of our population. So put together, it's a very small minority of Christians. Catholicism was introduced to Sri Lanka by the Portuguese in the 1500s. And the coastal belt was influenced. The people in the coastal belt, particularly the fishing community, were influenced by Catholicism. But Catholicism in Sri Lanka is different to Catholicism in Europe. Idol worship and the mediums and uh, occult is somewhere inside Catholicism. So, a minority, a very small number of Christians are born again and spirit-filled. So, at a time like this, when religion could not answer, when medication could not help, someone said, go to the occult, go to the witchcraft. Go to the mediums. And so we went after. We became slaves to the mediums. But not, none could help. I became even worse. On the 24th of December, 1989, I drank myself so much. Somehow, meanwhile, something happened in the life of Jean. She heard 
the message of Jesus Christ. My friends, the message of Jesus Christ, the message of salvation, the gospel message is full of power. That's why I am here today. Standing before you to testify the love and goodness of God as a forgiven sinner. On the 24th of December, I drank myself silly. And when I went to our living place, Jean was furious. And something happened, a quarrel took place. And for the first time, I had, a, I had to make a choice. Either to kill her or to get lost. I made the choice to get lost. And this was about 2 o'clock in the morning, 25th December, Christmas Day, 1989. And when I woke up in the morning, I found myself in the most miserable state that one could be. I'm telling you. In the most miserable state, I sat on the floor. And then I realized that I had found the answer. So I went back in search of Jean. And my two little kids, they were sleeping. I saw the innocence and hopelessness in my children's faces. And how painfully Jean had gone to sleep. And I tell you, I, I had a rage against myself. And I now went equipped to a lonely place. And that was the moment that I can say that death was just a minute away from me. In my anguish, I screamed out with a loud voice. And I said, now I am going to die. I had decided the moment of my death. And when I shouted out, Now I am going to die, I heard a beautiful, quiet voice saying, Jesus is alive. Now I had heard this before. I heard the hallelujahs, the praise the Lord, the amen, passing churches, people who came to minister to me. I heard Jean occasionally saying these things. It didn't mean anything to me. But in this instance, it meant something. I felt something. In those gentle, quiet words, I felt something. But anger was deep inside me. Anger, bitterness, that was in me and increasing in me from my childhood was shouted out once again. And I said, now, I am going to die. And the quiet voice, beautiful voice said, Jesus is alive. And then came the breakout of my anger. And I shouted and said, Jesus, if you are truly alive, come now. I am deciding. This has been my character. I always decided. I, 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 I little know that I am challenging the creator of the universe, the king, who is above all kings. I'm saying, Jesus, if you are truly alive, come now and touch me. In my carnal understanding, there would be no other moment. My friends, there was the flash of lightning. And the place I stood trembled. And Jesus, 
in His glory, stood next to me and He touched me. And I am never the same again. 25th of December, I had a watch on my hand. The time was 7 1989 at 7.15 in the morning on the 25th of December Jesus came and he touched me my beloved brothers and sisters this will speak of the love the grace the mercy and the compassion of Jesus Christ our Savior I'm not Challenging you. I'm not asking you to challenge him. But I challenged him. But his mercy, his grace and his compassion was with him. So much so that he came and he touched me. And I have, I have had to answer lots of questions. What does he look like? How big is he? Was he angry? Was he smiling? My friends, I can answer all those questions. But let me say this. I'm never the same again. And at that very moment, I knew that I knew that I was completely delivered. And it was proved that very day, being Christmas Day, that I had lost my appetite for alcohol. My greed and my craving for alcohol was lost. I spoke 40 cigarettes a day. Never again. No greed, no feeling, no inspiration for any drugs. I could not swear anymore. It was difficult to get angry. And uh, I had problems at home. Now problems started off because Jean could not understand what had happened with me. And my family members. Because my character is that I want to see things happening instantly. Just like McDonald's. Instant. So I wanted to see my whole family getting saved when? On the 25th night. Now that was family day. And so, when we went there, the party was ready but I have been always the leader of the party. Everybody waits for me. I'm the entertainer. I'm the one who gives the speech. I'm the one who, you know, has some humor. I'm, I'm right in front. But that day, I had a different message to deliver to my family. And you know, as a result, we were thrown out of our family. We were rejected from our family. But my beloved brothers and sisters, the message I bring to you today is that God has a plan. For you and for me. And no demon in hell or man on earth can change God's plan for you. God is always, every moment, up to something good with you. It is we who mess up with our own plans. But God has a plan for you. So I want to take you on this journey. Sharing with you what God has done in my life and those associated with my life. To support this message that I have for you. God has a plan for each of you. And his plans are good. His word confirms that his plans are good. Now you, I know some of you want to know what happened with my family eventually. 
The good news is this. By now, my entire family are saved. Some are pastors, some are leaders, worshippers, prayer warriors. Some are spread out far away. And my next audience had to be my gangster friends. So I went to them, and whether they liked it or not, they had to listen to me. And I preached Jesus and His love, His grace, His compassion, and I told them what happened with my life. And you know, they had no choice. And the result is that today, some of them are pastors. Not only in Sri Lanka, they are missionaries. In other nations. My beloved brothers and sisters, I want us to know that God has a plan. And His plans are good. And He is at work, even now at this moment. He's working on your plan. On His plan on you. My family got saved. Even my mother-in-law got saved. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'm saying this to you. You know, there are, there are people here. I know in my spirit. You're grieving about your son, your daughter, your grandchild. Or your husband or your wife who has not submitted their lives to Jesus. I have good news for you. I have good news for you. God is up to something good in their lives as well. Don't give up. Believe. Jesus said, believe and you see his glory. Hallelujah. This morning I'm here to, this evening I'm here to encourage you. And myself. So, you know, when I got saved, I told you I wanted everybody around to know that Jesus is Lord. And I, all, I wanted all of them to believe in Jesus. But it all did not happen instantly. It took time. I had to go through the school of learning God's ways. I had to understand that disappointments are God's appointments and they are divine. I had to learn that God's ways or my ways are different to God's ways. I had such a desire to preach, but I did not know the scriptures. When Jesus touched me, something happened. I shouted out and I said, Jesus, I will tell the whole world. What you did with me this morning. I did not know what it is to be an evangelist. I didn't, I didn't even know what it means to testify. So I told Jesus in my daily language, I will tell the world what you have done with me tonight, this, today. And my beloved brothers and sisters, that was the first utterance I made. That was the first prophetic Utterance that came out of my mouth at the moment of my salvation. And praise be to God, it's been fulfilled today. By now, God has taken me to at least 50 nations to preach the good news. And the one thing that I know that I should be doing is preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believing that His message is endorsed, that it follows with signs and wonders. It not only changes our spirit, changes our life. You know, salvation has to do with 
new life. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Salvation has to do with eternal life. Therefore, if someone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away and the new has come. So, being born again has to do with a new life. And Jesus in John 10, 10 said, The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. He has given us abundant life. This is the gospel message. My beloved brothers and sisters. So, the word of utterance. And you know, I was, I was trying to, uh, to preach in front of Jean. You know, there are things that you can do in front of the whole world, but you cannot do it in front of your wife. <laughs> she is still a hindrance to me, I must tell you. It's good she's not around. You know, her, her seat in church... Is not in the front seat. Her seat is in the back seat. And she waits till the time that I come to preach and she reminds me of a retired police sergeant. You know, she has some nice signals. Where is Phil? Oh, you're there. You see, so, I wanted to be, I want to be a preacher. And now I see preachers in action. And I want to be one. So I must share with you what I did. I used to look at the Bible and take a verse. And I go to the toilet and I lock myself up. And in front of the mirror, I would preach. And I have audience, a good guy, a handsome looking guy, and that's me. And I preach my heart out. And I even give the altar call. So I've been born again a million times. I look good doing that. And sometimes things went wrong when I heard a big bang on the toilet, Joe. What's going on? My beloved brothers and sisters, a deep passion deep inside me. And God gave me a burning passion for my own people. When I looked at statistics, I found that Sri Lanka has 33,000 um, 33, villages, rural villages, of which less than 3,000 had a Christian witness. It was said that 0.2% of Sri Lankans belong to the evangelical church. These figures caused a real burden that I should get into the mission field. And so, I obeyed God's calling and I gave myself to preach the gospel. And the Lord took us on a journey. My beloved brothers and sisters, when you fall into God's plan and when you decide to obey God, be ready to be trained. Be ready to be trained. You see, in my journey of serving God, I have seen hell. Many preachers say that they have seen heaven. Some have even been to heaven. But I am telling you, I have seen hell on earth. I have seen how jealous and angry the demonic 
powers, the unseen dark forces, how against they are to the man, to the woman who says, Yes, Lord, I want to be that man. And in this journey of serving God, I have gone through the worst. I've been abused. I've been accused. I've been stoned. My church was set ablaze. The training institute, the little school, the Bible school we set up was set ablaze one day with the students in it. Our branch churches broken down, shattered, rooted out. But my beloved brothers and sisters, one thing I can tell you. I saw God with His glory. You know, the Bible speaks of Stephen seeing God in His glory. And we are full of awe when we read the stories that are mentioned in the Acts. My beloved brothers and sisters, don't be surprised. It happens today and it is ready to happen in your own lives. Are you ready? You know, one of the things that happened, God called me to plant the church, well, which is the headquarters now. We call it the mother church, that's where we live. And you know, from the day that we started working on this, it was just torment over me and my family. And I'm not going to give the little details of the suffering we've gone through. I can only tell you this, at the end of the day, we had plenty of peace. With no convictions, no regrets, we could say, praise God. He is truly wonderful. He is, in fact, a present help in the moment of need. He knows how much we can be tried. And the moment we are tried more, or tempted beyond, He has promised to rescue us, or give us the power, the strength to overcome. I learned to stand by the promises of God. I learned the power of the word of God. I've never been to a Bible school with all respect to the scholars who may be present here. I've never been to a Bible school. My school is my Bible. I started reading the Bible from the beginning to the end. And from the end to the beginning. Whenever I had a question and the Bible couldn't explain, I went on my knees and asked the Holy Spirit to teach me and He taught me. And so I was able to exercise the authority and the power of His Word. I remember one day, coming back from a mission, from a mission in the war-torn areas, working amongst the terrorists and the troops, dodging landmines. It was a great mission. And I was returning with one of my disciples. And this massive wild elephant was on the road. And this road... That's no space for a U-turn or anything like that. And so, we were the first and then behind us, a string of vehicles and this elephant waiting to charge. What do you do? Some people say, be still, don't move. Some people say, flash your headlights. Some people say, don't do that. Some people say, now, when they start wagging their ears, be ready. Some people say, Run! And run zigzag. There are lots of remedies. But God says, call upon me and I will answer you. 
My, my beloved friends, friends, when I was in a state like that of confusion, God reminded me that He has not given me the spirit of confusion, but of love. To love a wild elephant? But then it's a, of power and of an intelligent or a sound mind. Wow! This is what I get when I'm born again. Aha! So my beloved, I felt the power of the Spirit coming over me, everywhere in me. And here are a string of vehicles, people, you know, just trembling in fear, not knowing what to do. And my disciple almost dead. He had almost collapsed. But I knew what God wanted me to do. I got off the vehicle and I took a couple of steps and I pointed my finger to this elephant and I told the elephant, Elephant, I now command you, depart in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this elephant, very gently, he bowed his head down and he just turned around and he walked into the jungle. I did not have, have to preach to anybody that day. No, 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 no. I didn't have to preach to anybody. Now, some of you people may think this guy is going nuts. He takes the name of the Lord in vain, even to speak to an elephant. My brothers and sisters, the name of Jesus is meant to be spoken about. And so, I went through this very painful experience of this church plant. I was in and out of police, arrested in remand prison, you know, harassed. Because the lawlessness in some parts of the world, you know, including our part of the world, is at its peak. If you are a politician, if you are a police officer, you can choose to do what you like to do. And you know, you know in a situation like that, you really need God. So God challenged me to, to initiate a work in the low country tea plantations because God has given me a deep love for the plantation sector, particularly tea planting people. Those of you who have been to Sri Lanka will agree with me how much, you know, these are the least privileged people in our country. And God pointed his finger to the biggest low, low country plantation, tea plantation, with 8,000 line workers who live far below human standards. And so we went there with a lot of enthusiasm and we, you know, initiated work there. We had a young man who was very faithful to the work and uh, we had a congregation of about 12 people and uh, out of which six were his family members and we were inspired and encouraged to you know, construct a decent building that could serve as a church for people to gather and worship as well as to serve as a dwelling, a decent dwelling place for this pastor and his family because they were living in a little shack made of gunny bags and plastic and cardboard. So we did this. We went and, you know, in prayer, we, uh, we laid the foundation stone. We all made a sacrifice of, you know, sowing in what we had. And it was a great celebration for us to see this building coming up. Until one day, when a mob came in, and 
destroyed this construction that actually a, a, a roof was what it needed. You know, the spirit of violence which was absolutely demonic operated there to the point where they even rooted out the foundations of concrete in such anger. And uh, they assaulted the pastor, his wife and one of our disciples, he was hospitalized. They actually assaulted him and they kept him under water <laughs> expecting him to die, to drown so that he can be, they could say that he died under natural, you know, drowning. He's alive today, praise God. He happens to be the son of a Hindu priest who ran from his father. He sought escape from his father who was chasing to kill him, who was a Hindu priest. He found refuge in that little cardboard house. And he's faithful to this, to this day. He has been, uh, he has experienced the marvel of the love of God. So, you know, this was completely destroyed and they banned our presence there. I was under a death threat. I was not supposed to. That was out of bounds to me. And you know, it, it, I wondered how I made the wrong decision. Is this from God? Like most of us think, you know. Is this from God? Because if something is from God, we expect everything to work well. It's God, I believe, that inspired us to initiate this work. It is God who inspired us and made provision to start building it. Now, is it God who destroys it? But beloved, in the Word of God, He has also provided us as much. The Word as much to give us faith not to give up and to believe that God is still alive. He's still at work. It is His church. And so, that was out of bounds. And we decided that we would not let go. And God used a man from Dorset, whom I never knew, he had never seen me, to be generous to the point of buying an acre of tea with a nice house in it, with electricity, a telephone, and pipe bone water. What a celebration! What a miracle! Oh, praise the Lord! You know, when God does good things, we can praise Him, we can dance for Him. But does God do bad things? Why are we disappointed sometimes? Why do we sometimes wonder, where is God? Has God taken a break? He doesn't take a break. He gives us a chance of taking a break. Sometimes even in the midst of turmoil, he says, Rodney, take a little rest with Jean. You know, I have learned to understand his heart. And so in this situation, we have this beautiful building. What a celebration. And so some of our leaders in our church said, we need to go and paint this up and do all that, you know, after about a couple of months of... Uh, Establishing the ministry, it grew in numbers, and pastor had a good home now, and they used the hall for worship. And it was fantastic. So one day we went, a couple of vehicles, with paint, ladders, you know, cement, and people who volunteered to work. And then we had a surprise. Surprise. We were all attacked. We were all attacked. 
and everything that can be broken and shattered there, including the food that was prepared for us for lunch, was just destroyed. And uh, they ambushed us. They assaulted those who were with me. I mean, it was a bad day. And they abducted me. They carried me bodily into a vehicle. And I'm talking about 500 violent, demonic people with weapons, swords, axes, you know. And they took me to a place I had never been to, well known about. They took me to kill me. But I knew that God would not allow that to happen because there is an unfinished work. I had plenty of faith inside me. Believe me, I did not fear. I'm telling you the truth. God is my witness. I was taken. I knew that I was being taken to be killed. And I knew that was their plan. When we went to that place, about ten people were in this vehicle. And they took me down. There was a, you know, tires were ready to burn me alive. And uh, there were many people there as well. And you know, suddenly something happened. And what was that? Conflict in their camp. They started arguing. And they started cutting each other and fighting. And it was such a massive uproar there. And whilst this uproar was going on, four or five guys came and ushered me into the same vehicle and delivered me to a place of safety. I like to show this on a video. It's just four minutes if you could bear with me. I like to. I believe that God wants to encourage you. That doesn't happen in your part of the world. You will not find somebody coming next Sunday to, 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 to destroy this building. But I have something to tell you after this. When I see the beauty of a sunset glory, amazing Across the evening sky When I feel the mystery Of a distant galaxy It awes and humbles me To be loved By a God so high What can I do?
God. So this will explain. This will explain a little about the persecution back home, but it will explain more of the grace and the mercy and the concern of God. First, it was destroyed. Again, it was destroyed, another building. But today, we have a two-story building. Church occupies top floor, school occupies the ground, the bottom floor, and I must tell you, I just came having celebrated the fourth anniversary. And the church is thriving today. And those very people who injured us, those very people who crushed and broke and destroyed the church, are worshipping in that church. And uh, something special happens there. You know, children are being used Children are being used to minister right into those line rooms. I spoke about 8,000 people. This church has grown to four churches now with three other branch churches. And uh, the gospel is taken outside of the estate. Whilst the work goes on inside, because that was the vision, 8,000 people. But now, God has even give us, given us authority in the territories outside. My beloved brothers and sisters, God is up to something good. Don't give up. Don't give up. You know, talking about God's plan about our lives. The word of God confirms that we have been fearfully and wonderfully created. Of all God's creation, of all God's wonderful works, his most lovable and His most unique and His most wonderful, satisfying creation is you and me. God's delight is in you and me. And we know because of sin, there was a separation. God lost us, His most lovable and wonderful creation. But God in His goodness 
with all His power and authority and His love, He made a way for us to be reconciled to Him. By, you know, giving Himself to become a man, just like you and me, in human form, He came to this world to die for us. The only way of deliverance, the only way that He could have us back with Him was His death on the cross. He had to come in human form. He had to become Jesus. He had to become a son. And you know, today the world would want to pay for anything. The, the world is ready to pay for anything. And there is also a tendency of grabbing at anything that is free. But the world is slow to accept salvation which is a free gift. But we are living in times of urgency. We are living in times of urgency. And God has raised you and me. God has raised this church in this territory as part of His plan and purpose for today. And it is important for us to connect with this. It is important for us to know that you and I are special in God's end time plan. How many of you believe that we are at the very edge of the end? Jesus is coming soon. And I'm sorry, He's coming very soon. Sooner than, you know, yesterday. Sooner than, uh, you know, uh, sooner than Paul said He's coming. I'm saying to you tonight, He's coming. And so you need to recognize how important you are. God's method is man. God is, God's character, God's way of operating is by dedicating to us the responsibility. When He came to this world in the form of man, He functioned. He did miracles. He spoke His word full of life. But today it's up to us, the church. Jesus will not come back to preach the gospel and save people. Will He come back to perform miracles? No. It is up to you and me. We shall decide the destiny of the nations. It's not the government. It's not the... The, 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 the president or the prime minister, or with all respect, the cabinet. No, 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 no. The church of Jesus Christ will decide. We make the decisions. You have the authority to do it. God has given you everything needed to prepare for the return of Jesus in all His glory. And so, in order... In order to take up this responsibility, we must understand that God has a plan on you. And so, the scripture confirms how wonderfully we have been created. The scripture confirms that we are engraved in the palm of God. I'm not going to take you with the particular scriptures. I'm sure you have discussed it. The scripture confirms that you and I were known by name. Before even the foundations of the earth was established. The scripture confirms 
that God has plans and that the plans are good. Everywhere He speaks about His plan for us, He acknowledges that the plan is good and it is not harmful. And so it is very important for us to fall, to, 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 de- to have a deep desire to understand God's plan and to stay in God's plan. Very soon I will take you through what I, this, this, this scriptural part of it. You see, in 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 3 onwards, you can take note of that. 3 to 5 and 15 to 16 and 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 1. We see how uh, Saul is entrusted with a responsibility to search after his father's lost donkeys. And we also see how seriously this young man takes upon himself that responsibility. He goes from city to city, from place to place. He's disappointed, but he does not give up. He does not give up. So he is searching after donkeys. But God was also searching after Saul. For what? He is searching after the lost donkeys. God is searching after Saul to make him king of Judah and then of Israel. My beloved beloved friends, doesn't matter. You can go after your donkeys, but do it well. This is my challenge. You see, every one of us are entrusted with responsibilities even today. With your family with the ministry, with the church. If you do not have, ask the leaders. If you, are not invo- if you are not involved in the field of God's work, ask for one. You know, you belong to a church, please stay with your church. Church is God's heartbeat today. You cannot have your church at home. Some people say, we have church at home, we are sick of going to that church and this church. Please don't say that. Sometimes you don't like the pastor's face, you don't like the pastor's wife's face. I'm not speaking about England. You are okay. I'm talking about Sri Lanka. Anything goes wrong, the pastor's wife is to be blamed. Not here in Sri Lanka. So you see, uh, ask God, ask your leadership, get involved, do something. Search after donkeys, but do it faithfully. When you are faithful with the little that God has entrusted with you, God is faithful to come after you, to accomplish his purpose and plan in your life. You know, to Saul, success was to find his father's donkeys. But to God, it was much more. You know, brothers and sisters, don't let anything hinder you. Every time Jean and I and my team obeyed the voice of God and took our next step, we also had the storm against us. And I can share with you many and many and many. You might wonder, serving God is miserable. I'm saying no. There is nothing as satisfying. There is nothing that gives you joy to be serving the Lord. If what has come, if what came against us had any source of discouragement, I shouldn't have been here today. No, 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 no. I'm telling you. Times have been very painful. We've been tortured to the point in our human thinking, in our flesh, we want to give up. When Jean says, let us give up, God has a way. He has filled me with the joy of the Lord and the strength 
to say no. God is still alive. When I am about to give up, Gene has been there to encourage me. There have been brothers, sisters, friends all over the world. My beloved brothers and sisters, that's why I say we need church. Today you rejoice because uh, this brother has the opportunity. I saw how celebrative that news was. Everybody was happy because he's going to be uh, you know, celebrating his aunt's, uh, you know, uh, whatever you call it, the honorary, whatever, you know. Praise the Lord. And he's thinking far beyond. He wants the queen to be slain under the power of the Spirit. I mean, I like his enthusiasm, brother. God bless you. God bless you. I mean, if God can use me to speak to elephants, why wouldn't he accept why wouldn't he use someone from this church to speak to the queen? So I want to encourage you today. God has a plan. His plans are good. God doesn't give up. And if we know that God will not give up, why should we give up? Now I know that I have been a bit cheeky where time is concerned. And I can, I can sense in my spirit the thoughts of your pastor and leaders. But you know, I want to say this to you. Just after the tsunami, God declared His desire to have us set up an orphanage. And with divine miracles, this beautiful orphanage was set up for 100 children. With all the facilities. We had 32 children. And um, everything was going well. And my younger boy studied three years in England at the Regents Theological College and he came with his degree all the enthusiasm of getting married to his to, to Binari, his bride they were full of plans Binari is a wonderful song leader fun-loving, young, spirit-filled girl Angelo was, you know, so enthusiastic with three years of education with his credentials and all the necessary papers he came to take over the church from his father because uh, I wanted to, you know, have more time on, with my evangelistic work and other, other projects. The wedding was planned. I was to solemnize the wedding. This was in 2011, in August. I went, I had my hair cut. I cleared my suit from the tailor and I had a phone call that the CID had visited the orphanage and when I went there, I was told that I am under arrest. For what? Of raping six children ages ranging from 9 to 11. And my brothers and sisters, in a situation like that, there is no escape. This is in the eve of the wedding of my son. Everything is done. Everybody knows. We are going to have a great celebration. Friends from overseas have already come. All arrangements made. And here is a happy father praising God because everything has worked so perfectly. And now I'm under arrest. I was taken and thrown into remand prison. And I tell you, to be in the remand prison of Sri Lanka is a touch of hell. I'm not going to tell you about the torture and the situation. But I was put into 
the IWAD, where the criminals, the worst, are put in. And that has been designed by the British. Your grandfathers set up the prison system in Sri Lanka. And that was built, this particular room, cell was built for about, uh, I think, 16 to 20 odd prisoners. And that night there were 81 prisoners. And um, you couldn't sleep flat like this. You had to sleep sideways like this if you were to sleep flat, you know, sleep that night. And so I thought it would be over with one night or two nights or three nights. But to tell you what happened was, I was in a horrible prison cell when the wedding ceremony of my son to Binari took place out in the church. It might be difficult to understand what I felt like. On the fourth day in prison, I was completely gone. I just couldn't continue. I felt it was better to die. And I felt like that because I couldn't even pray. I couldn't pray in my spirit. And that made me feel I'm dead. So I became totally silent. My mind could not accommodate anything about God. And I, I was in a, total, in a place of total surrender. And it was then, again, I heard the voice of God. Very clear. The word of the God said, Be still and know that I am God. My friends, something happened again. And the very next day, the moods, the attitudes, the responses, the words in this prison cell particularly changed. That evening, this Bible was passed to me. And that was God's acknowledgement. Signs and wonders. The following days, literature, tracts were delivered to me. Favor from the high-ranking prison officials. And favor in the prisons. People begin to ask me questions about my faith. I had the Bible to explain questions, answers. And I became a pastor in that cell. Five cases were filed against me. Some were dismissed. They did everything to bring shame on me. Every, the media, every TV channel, BBC, Gossip UK, you name it. My name was torn into pieces. And I'm here now in a prison cell. have no communication with my family. But brothers and sisters, the Spirit of God was with me. And that was the beginning of a thriving prison ministry. I was released from prison in September. By that time, my son and daughter-in-law were so shattered to the point where they had given up. They just wanted a break. A door opened for them to go to New Zealand. They went as hurting. They wept every night. I don't know what kind of a night they had on their wedding day knowing that their father was in prison. They went as a shattered couple. But my beloved today, Angelo is a young pastor in a New Zealand church which is growing rapidly and God is using him. And Binari is being graduated this, uh, 
this 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 uh, November, I think um, she's getting her degree in uh, child psychology, and I believe that God's plan has been established in their lives, and we as parents cry in joy. Church continues very well, still with me and Jean and our associate leaders. I was moved from one prison to the other, one prison to the other. I was released in September. By the time I released, I was released. God did exactly what He did in the Old Testament with Joseph. He did the same with me. You know, God supernaturally functioned in that place and clicked a friendship between me and the chief superintendent of prisons. That same December I returned to prison, not through the eye of the needle, chained with 22 other prisoners. The main doors were opened. I walked into this prison as guest of honor with the commission of prisons in Sri Lanka as the chief guest. For what? For a Christmas program. And for the first time, 2,500 criminals heard the gospel message. That was the beginning of a thriving prison ministry. A few months later, God gave me wisdom to go back, you know, because when I was in prison, I understood how people lose their sight, you know, because some, particularly those who are condemned to death and life imprisonment, they spend 22 hours in the dark cell. They sleep more than half of that. They are allowed one hour outside in the light. So you lose sight also because of stress and worry and torture. So I knew the value of a pair of reading glasses because when I had my pair, it went all around the prison. If someone could get some reading material and pass it around, this pair of reading glasses was, you know, such a luxury. So I went with 300 pairs of reading glasses from 125 to 325. And I insisted that this was to be distributed only among those subject to death sentence. There were 300. And there were another 300 uh, condemned to life. So that had, we had to take part of each. And uh, we had an optician and we did it rightly. And we called it the John 3, 16, 17 campaign. You know, when you use a new pair of glasses, you have to do a reading test. And the reading test was to read John 3, 16 and 17 in a language that they may choose. And so you found the worst criminals. Worst criminals reading John 3.16 loud and clear. And that's not all. That's not all. With conviction, something happened in that room. I mean, we saw, we saw uh, criminals, guys who had up to, I would say, 50 murder cases, just jerking and weeping. Because John 3.17 has a word, the word condemn. God sent not His Son to condemn. And every prisoner knows the word condemn, particularly those, of, those who are condemned to death. And I was given the freedom to elaborate on these two verses. What a celebration. On the 28th of December, 2013, was the day that history was created in the prison system of the world. God opened doors once again. 
and this time it was a great celebration and for the first time in the history of the prison system in Sri Lanka and I think anywhere in the world we conducted this is a Buddhist nation where the church is violently attacked we are accused of converting people in this prison from a stage with blaring loudspeakers I had the opportunity of preaching the gospel message and you know what happened? Around 2,000 prisoners threw up their hands. I have photographic evidence right now. I don't think time will permit that four minutes. But I can leave that with you. I can leave that with you. I just want to say God is my witness and here it is. You need this to be encouraged and I will close with you.
The psalmist said, How will I escape from you, God? How can I be isolated? I might try. Go up, you are there. Go down to the depths of the earth, you are still there. Holy Spirit of God. You may have noticed this one word in this big banner Jesus. This is the shortest message I have ever preached. Uh, and that was in my dreams, actually. In 1992, I woke up. In the early hours of the day, with a bath of sweat, because I saw a dream that I was chasing behind a man who was being taken to the gallows to be hung. And there was a big clock ticking, and there was a sense of urgency. I was running behind this man, but the prison officials were pushing me aside. I just wanted to talk to him. They didn't allow me. Finally, I shouted, Jesus. And this man turned back, and he shouted, Jesus. I did it three times and he repeated and there was a, like a siren and that was the end. I never saw him again. I never had an interpretation. I did not understand. We both prayed about it. We were sitting on the bed. We prayed about this. It was a sensing of urgency to share the gospel anywhere. I never knew that God had plans to take me there in 2011. And in order to... In order to the Lord has been with me always I took his name there and the superintendent who gave the final speech at this um, celebration he said he's been ranked from the smallest uh, slowest rank that meant that he has been in the prison system for about 30 years and he had never experienced a day like that and he himself he finally, he's a staunch Buddhist. You have to be a Buddhist to hold that position, you know, in our part of the world. You have to be that. But he boldly declared and said, Today, we have tested. It's a nice word. It's scriptural. We have tested the 
love of his God. And so, I was just like one of those prisoners sitting on a bucket, you know. And um, many prisoners, they know me. So, we are in and out. And this is God. So, brothers and sisters, there is much to share. But God has been gracious, giving you patience with me today. I promise you I'll come again if I'm welcome. And uh, this is not the end. I just like to do something as as the Spirit of God leads me. Uh, I'd like to ask uh, Pastor Phil to come forward.